demonstrations against the South African government's strict apartheid policies flare into shocking violence. A 42-year-old African lawyer, Nelson Mandela, the most dynamic leader in South Africa today. He is still underground. I have dedicated my life to this struggle of the African people. This is Desmond Tutu. In 1994, the world watched as millions of South Africans cast their ballots in our country's first fully democratic election. After all the votes were counted, Nelson Mandela was president of a new South Africa. Mandela's journey from freedom fighter to president is one of the most dramatic stories of our lifetime. But many have never heard the story from those of us who lived and struggled in South Africa in the days of hatred and bigotry and violence. So here then is Mandela and audio history. The program that follows is about the people of South Africa. 1935, 1940, 1945. A nation develops into the premier industrial power on the African continent. The Golden City, South Africa's Johannesburg. Millions of pounds worth of gold comes out of Joburg each year. With this wealth, the people of the city live well and happily. Truly, this is the finest of all the world's golden cities. As a white citizen, you had social status, you had beautiful schools, you had parks, you had everything that you desire, and you had the highest standard of living in the world. The blacks were just pushed out. The population of South Africa was about 10 million. Two million and a bit were whites and dominated everything. And there were gold mines and diamond mines with huge economic potential based on very cheap black labor. It was a master-servant relationship. We had domestic staff who were black, but they lived in their own quarters. They were the nannies and the cleaners and the gardeners. We were taught that the whites were superior people. And we were told when we were young that if you do good in this life, your next life will become better. And I remember promising myself that I'm going to be a good little boy so that my next life I wanted to be a white person. That was my goal in life. And uh, I determined to be a good boy. We come from far away places to the golden city. We've left our parents miles and miles away. My name is Nelson Mandela. I remember when I arrived in uh, Johannesburg, the fear of the power of the white man inhibited us a great deal. And the government was becoming very tough. News from Government House Pretoria, where South Africa's newly elected Prime Minister, Dr. Milan, was sworn in at the beginning of a new chapter in South Africa's history. At the time of the 1948 elections, the Nationalist Party under D.F. Milan preached what they called Baskap. Baskap is an Afrikaans word to express white domination. The color question is rapidly increasing in seriousness and urgency. I consider apartheid, that's the separation policy, 
to be South Africa's last chance to remain a white man's country. Well, the appeal was survival. The appeal was we are a small minority on a black continent and we number so many millions and the black number X times that millions. And if we are to survive in Africa, and here we are, and we've been here since 1652, um, we have got to survive. And the way to survive is to maintain domination. Simple as that. I remember I came out of Park Station that morning and bought a newspaper and learned that uh, the National Party had won. And Comrade Oliver Tambo said, well, I like this because we now know that uh, we have an enemy in power. And I think that we're going to have a better opportunity of mobilizing our people. So when they came into power, it became clear that we were going to be put under a very severe test. In these circumstances, the government has decided on the following measures. A prohibition on meetings has been... And immediately after 1948, the apartheid government announced that it was introducing a new series of laws. The Group Areas Act. There was an Immorality Act so that you couldn't have sexual relations across the colour line. Race classification, which laid down for all time your colour and your category, white coloured Indian or black. So all these things came in one after the other. Where you lived, how you lived, what educational system you're going to go through, the type of jobs that you got, where you're going to be buried. Everything from birth to death was determined after the apartheid government came into power. It lays a tremendous responsibility upon those people who govern the country. Responsibility which the white man feels of his duty towards these underdeveloped people who are not capable of governing themselves, who would fall to pieces if we were not there to look after their interests. The colored man must always carry these passes. Photographs are taken at the offices of the Department of Native Affairs. Daily, a large number turns up here for reference books. Each book contains the photograph of the owner, his name, race, and particulars of employment. They use this crude method of putting a pencil through your hair. If the pencil sticks, then you are black or African. If it falls off, you've got a chance of being classified colored. Naturally, the officials who are employed here must have a thorough knowledge of Bantu customs and languages. Each time you left your home, you had to make sure that you have a little book in your pocket. And if you didn't have that piece of paper, some ignorant, stupid youngster in the police force could stop you and demand that you identify yourself. If you couldn't, they locked you up. At nine o'clock, a big bell would ring. Dong, dong. And you knew that was for you, if you were black, to get out of the white city. Dr. Malanu nom tetonzima. Dr. Malanu nom tetonzima. Dr. Malan has got very strange rules. We're stopping me from doing that and this and the other in my own land. And people in the street would start singing. 
Dr. Malanu no mteto nzima. Andazu guba sosho na pi. In the 50s, the, the apartheid structure was tightening. Situation was becoming so much worse, you know. Andazu guba sosho na pi. The communities, they'd been intimidated, cowed down, but we knew the feeling among the vast majority of the people was that this system cannot continue and must do something about it. In Johannesburg, premier city of South Africa, there was staged last weekend the first move in a campaign that may lead to civil disobedience. Thousands of colored people went to attend a protest meeting called by the African National Congress. This is the most important African organization in the Union, and it called on all colored people to protest against the racial segregation laws. A crowd of some thousands made their way to the meeting. We now began to feel that the time had come for the emergence of a mass organization to go out into the highways and organize the masses of the people. You needed somebody to lead the people. You needed somebody who could make the people believe in the organization. Mandela had what it took to actually be out there in the front leading the movement. Since then, the Congress leaders have announced that they will decide later this month whether to launch a civil disobedience campaign. This would urge all colored people to break the unjust laws and to court arrest. The first thing we did was the uh, defiance campaign of 1952, when the ANC decided that all the unjust laws would simply be uh, broken. You know, to, to be part of that kind of movement, to defy the laws and be arrested. and Christ, I mean, it was exciting. We knew that we could, we could do something. And for 8,500 people to be arrested at the time in 1952 was no small achievement. The mood had been created that our struggle was reaching a dimension where it could not be crushed. In 1960, on the 21st of March, the PAC, Pan-African Congress, made preparations to launch an anti-pass campaign. So on this particular day, word went out that all pass books must be burnt to actually light up these passes and burn them. The slogan was, away with the passes. The atmosphere was electric, you know, to join in the bonfire, you know. I remember that vividly. You know, as a kid, you know, you always love to see fire. You know. It was fun, I mean. <laughs> but of course, later in the day, we, we heard news came over the radio. Here is a special announcement. The Governor-General has proclaimed a state of emergency in about 80 of the 300 magisterial districts of the Union. Several hundred natives gathered peaceably to protest the pass laws. Police mounted on tanks opened fire. 69 natives were killed, 176 wounded. Most of the victims were shot in the back. Some of the dead were children, women, and elderly men. Here were people just marching to the police station to hand over a passbook, and the police opened fire on them. For the first time, it showed the world how brutal the apartheid system could be. 
The Prime Minister assured the country that law and order would be maintained. If necessary, the defence force would be called in. There was a mood among people following the Sharpeville massacre that we had to start dealing with the armed forces of the state, the armed might of the apartheid state. Mr. Mandela then made a statement saying, how do we combat such a brutal foe? We must consider other methods, other means. And the other methods, other means was violence. We felt, you know, it just cannot continue. Yeah.